It's good to see everybody. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Justin. I'm the pastor here at Zion and excited to preach from the scriptures today. We're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7, which is uh, one of the most famous prophetic words about Jesus that came hundreds of years before he was born. And so I'm going to read more verses than what you have on your service sheet. You have just verses 6 and 7, which is mainly the verses that everybody knows. Uh, But I'm going to start in verse 1, so you can just Listen to me as I read, and then you can pick up when we get to uh, verse 6. It says, But there was no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the lamb of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as the, with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken on the day of Midian." For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Verse six, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen. The word of the Lord. 2018, the end of every year seems to be the worst time of the year for me. This year is no different. Uh, We're just always going through something at the end of the year. But 2018 particularly was a year that in my life, you know, who knows as I get older what will happen. But for me, has lived in infamy since and will probably live uh, thus far. That year, uh, we had, me and my wife had felt the Lord leading us to do a couple of things. Uh, we uh, were living in Brooklyn at the time and realized that we would probably never have the money to buy a house in Brooklyn. So we wanted to try to buy an investment property somewhere else. We started looking for that uh, earlier in the summer. Uh, Then an opportunity came up for uh, the church needed a storage space because anybody that was not here pre-COVID the setup and breakdown team, Mike will remember, uh, had to be there at U-Haul at seven in the morning to pack a U-Haul truck that we rented around 645 uh, and then bring the U-Haul over to the school that we used to meet in, unpack everything, set up the production. It was about double to triple what we have right now. Uh, and you know, I'll never forget that drum, setting up that drum set every week, my Lord. Uh, <laughs> And then after that, we would break everything down, bring it back to the U-Haul, take the U-Haul to storage, unload it, then drop off the U-Haul. We were done around 3, 3.30 every week. Uh, And so to stop that, I wanted to get a storefront right where we were, and we kept getting denied from storefronts. So this one storefront I found was perfect, and I was like, oh, this would be a great spot. And 
I didn't want to get denied. And when I called the real estate agent in the panic of the moment, he asked, what are you going to open up here? Now, granted, I've been denied three times when I said a church uh, office. And so I said, uh, a coffee shop. <laughs> and there you have it. That's how blend started. Um, and then uh, I was in, I, towards the end of the year, I wanted to try to sell my marketing company. I had taken on what I thought would be a partner. He had an investor that wanted to buy it for a good amount of money. Uh, and so that I can begin to fully focus um, just on the church and what God was doing here. And all of those things that we had been working on for six months had come to a head on the second week in December. Uh, that week, I signed the closing for our condo in New Jersey. Uh, that week, I signed the lease for what would be opening blends. Um, and then what was supposed to happen was the sale of my business would cover all the expenses of opening up the coffee shop. Of uh, we, we had saved the money for the down payment for New Jersey. Uh, but, you know, it was supposed to help us out. I, if all of that was going to go through. So the sale was supposed to happen in, at the end of November. It got pushed back, got pushed back. So now I'm, I'm signing the lease. I signed the check for the closing uh, for, for, my, uh, for, my, for the condo. And... Uh, the guy kept pushing it back, pushing it back, pushing it back. I had emptied out all of our coffers. Um, and then I go into the meeting with the guy that's supposed to buy the business. He gives me a number that is like 20% of what it should have been. And so the, we start negotiating back and forth. The deal falls through. And then right after that, Heather comes back from the doctor's office crying because she found out she was pregnant with twins. <laughs> when I tell you that I laid on the floor and screamed, <laughs> it was a week, and I thought, I just kept thinking, God, like, how are you going to do this? This, this makes no sense. Uh, I fell into depression. I was just like, the anxiety, was, the anxiety became so much that I don't know if you've ever had this. I walked around with nausea 24-7 like I was going to throw up. And so everybody in the, in the family one night, we're sitting down, they're all watching TV, and I'm sitting in the corner uh, just trying to figure out what, like, how, how is all this going to happen? I'm having a conversation with God. And I don't know if you've ever had a conversation with God in your head that accidentally spills out and you talk, and you say, and you know, <laughs> you know, if you've ever done it on the train or walking home or something, and people are just like, who are you talking to, man? Just make believe you have a Bluetooth in your ear real quick. But it spilled out, and I said, God, what are you doing? And I'll never forget this, because Judah was watching TV, but he stopped, and he looked at me, dead serious, and he said, he's working. And I went, whoo now, my son has been known, God has gifted him to hear from him and speak at different times in our life. And that was one of the times he spoke a word of the Lord uh, to us. And I just, I, I, like, first I looked in shock and I looked at Heather and I was like, did you just hear what I heard? <laughs> and she was like, yeah, and then I just cried. Because the reality of our life is oftentimes when we are in the darkness, all we can see is our reality. 
is the doom and the gloom of our life, of the circumstances around us, and we forget that God's hand is ever present and at work in our life. And what's happening here in Isaiah 9 is there is a very similar time in Israel where the nation and the country of Assyria Assyria had come and they had began to swallow up all the other nations and they had gotten to the northern kingdom of Israel and they swallowed up Israel and they had taken Israel and they had conquered Israel. Not only did they conquer them, but they had deported all of the people so that they no longer had their promised land and they no longer even were able to live in their homes. They couldn't rule themselves and they were now going off to dispersion to a foreign land. And Isaiah, right before we get to chapter nine, the last verse of chapter 22, it says this, and they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. There are times in our life, just like Israel in this moment, where we are feel like we are thrust into thick darkness. All the worries, all the cares, all the circumstance of life seems to come at us at one moment and we lose our footing and our bearing. We can no longer see one step in front of the other and we wonder, what have I been doing this whole time? What is life for? Why am I here? What is going on? The weight of the world begins to crush us and we feel despair. We feel this gloom that seems will never pass away, that it will be here for the rest of our life. But Isaiah starts chapter nine with this, the very next verse here. Remember, they didn't have verses and chapters back then. So his very next breath, he says, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, that means before he brought into contempt these lands, But in the later time, these lands were the lands, the northern kingdom that just lost everything, was departed, deported. But in the later time, he has made the glorious way. And he calls back to the time when they had defeated the Midianites and God had parted the sea, the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. See, Isaiah was affirming their current state of gloom, of depression, and, and, and living a life of faith and hope in Christ is not denying your present reality. It is not, I, I've met those people that it's like, how are you doing? Their life is collapsing. Blessed and highly favored in Jesus' name, but you don't know when they get in the car, they're crying on the way home. Isaiah was not asking them to live in a false reality, but what he was telling them was to not forget their hope amidst the darkness. See, he was affirming affirming their current states of depression, of gloom, of darkness, but reminding them that a great hope was coming. See, Jesus is the hope for hopeless situations. Jesus is not a hope, one of many hopes. He is the hope for our hopeless situations, even when Jesus had not come yet. He was the hope of Israel, the one that they looked to in the latter times, the one through whom all the promises would be fulfilled through God. The only one who could truly fulfill the law, 
Prophet after prophet after prophet would speak of the one who was coming, and Isaiah was no different here in chapter 9, who would set all things right. He was the hope that the remnant held on to in times when the kings would depart and the people would do what was right in their own eyes and God would send other nations to come and judge them. And the worst of all judgments was Assyria. Yet Isaiah says, there's still someone coming. He would break the yoke of burden and the rod of oppression. Verse four and verse five. Verse four says he would institute a new government, a new kingdom. This kingdom and this government that has let you down and God has judged you because. This other kingdom that is coming is Syria that is even more unrighteous and more unholy. When Jesus comes, he will break their yoke that has been set upon you. He will break the rod of oppression. And not only would he take this burden from you, but what would happen in verse six, it says the government would be placed on his shoulders, meaning the burden that was put on us would be broken. And then that burden of rule, that burden of righteousness, that burden of government would be put on his. In a world where unjust and unrighteous nations ruled, God's promised ruler was coming. He would rule in verse seven, it says, with justice and righteousness and the increase of his government and peace would see no end. With Jesus as our king, a true king who cannot only fix our spiritual ailments, but comes also to fix our societal ailments, our physical ailments and our mental illness. He comes to fix it all. A true king was coming. And all of the burden would be taken off us and placed on him. He is the hope in every hopeless situation. And guess how much you have to do to make sure all this happens? Nothing. One commentator I read pointed this out, that if you look at chapter 9 in Isaiah, this prophetic word about the coming king, there is absolutely no responsibility on any person here but God to do everything that he said he was going to do. This is all entirely God's work. The people are walking in darkness. They're not calling out for God and repenting. Isaiah gives this word. You know what they did to him? They sawed him in half. They weren't heeding the words of Isaiah. He was martyred. The people didn't know what they wanted. They were just digging deeper into their graves. We are not able to save ourselves, save ourselves church. In fact, we are wholly incapable of it. And when Israel, just like us, pushes God away because they know better, this feels better, they think they have better, what happens is we push ourselves into deeper darkness, that darkness that looks like has no tomorrow. And we run to the world for coping. We run to this thing or that thing to feel better about ourselves. We run to false hopes that may make us better for a moment. 
but will be a hope that disappoints for eternity. God doesn't do his work because we convinced him to, church. He doesn't do it because we made the right sacrifices. God sends Jesus because he loved the world. Do you understand that? That one verse, if you grew up in church, that everybody memorized, John 3, 16. What does it say? For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life and not perish. This verse doesn't say God sent his only son because we knew we needed him. It doesn't say he sent his only son because we made the right sacrifices. It doesn't say he sent his only son because we sang the song on key. Thank God for that because he wouldn't have sent his son for me. Maybe Ilya and Jess would have made it to heaven, but little old Justin would have been burning. No one forced God to act but himself. Do you understand the magnitude of that? That when we rejected God, that while we were still in our sins, that while we walked in a deep darkness, the world that we had created for ourselves, God looked upon us with love and sent his son to be sacrificed. When people peg God as this angry and narcissistic God, they have it all backwards. See, God is only angry and narcissistic if he requires us to have obedience to act for salvation. God required nothing from us to act. He only requires faith after the fact. Which is a strange thing because usually faith is pegged as something you can't see or something that hasn't been done yet or something that we look towards in the future. But no faith that God asks us to stay faithful to what you know I have already done, which is the easiest kind of faith, or I should say the simplest kind of faith. See, God required nothing from us to act. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. True obedience can only flow from a recognition of God's great love. And we have this backwards. That's why we think of God all wrong. We think, I obey, therefore he loves me. If I can get everything right, if I could sing the song right, if I could just get to church on time right, if I could just, if I could just perform this sacrifice right, if I could just clean up my act a little bit, if I can just clean out my potty mouth, man, then God would love me. Your theology is all wrong. Your understanding of God is false. You serve the polytheistic gods of the other nations that have crept into our society. No, it's he loves me. While I was in sin, while I was in darkness of my own creation, while I despaired of life and cursed him to his face, he loves me. And from that love, I can obey him. From that love, I say, God, I don't deserve this. I don't know why you did it. 
but I can tell you this, because of what you've done, you deserve all that I have. You deserve all that I can give you. See, I love the image in verse five because it's an image of a battle that has already been won. That when the prophet speaks about it, he speaks about the end of the battle, that everything has been taken care of. The battle is over and then we show up. You ever have that, that guy who asks, is there anything I can do to help when everybody is done cleaning? I will admit I've been that guy at times. That's who we are in the gospel story. Jesus does everything, and then we show up. You need me to do anything here, God? You got it? You're good? Jesus, like, moved the tomb over. He's out. The linen cloths are everywhere. He's like, nah, I'm good. I think we took care of everything. But that's the, that's the picture that we need to understand of what the gospel is, this good news of Jesus that we show up to a clean house and we may ask anything, anything for me to do. And, you know, as, as my mom would do, nope, all good. When I go to him, he has done the work. His love is sufficient. His love has done all the hard lifting and what is so beautiful about all of this is it is not predicated on what Jesus does, but simply on his birth. Everything that we read here in Isaiah 9. Right? Jesus starts his ministry. Before he does something, God says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. See, this is not just, this is how God interacts with himself in the Trinity. That is, it, it doesn't say that God loves a lot. It says God is love in the scriptures, that this is his nature, his eternal being, his value system. This is who he is. That the birth of Jesus institutes the new age, governments, and a multiplied joy. Not on what he does, but simply at his coming. It is why our calendar is split in two, not at the death or the resurrection of Jesus, but at the birth of Jesus, because simply Jesus showing up on the scene meant all of this was already done. When Jesus arrives, all was as good as done. This is why John describes his coming in John 1 this way. It says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. When Jesus comes to the earth, it is the light entering into the darkness and the light has bloomed, it has shined. And guess what, folks? The darkness has not overcome it. The darkness cannot overcome it. The darkness will not overcome it because when Jesus enters into the scene, darkness must flee. When Isaiah speaks of the darkness that Israel was in, but then he says, a light is coming. And when that light comes, this is all that will happen. These will be his names. These will be his titles. This is what he will do. When Jesus comes, the day of darkness is over. You may be in complete darkness, your sin may have overtaken your decisions. It may have overtaken your life. 
You may be with unshakable gloom, or as we would call today, depression beyond measure. You may be contemplating the existence of your life. I want you to read this with me. For unto us a child was given. For unto us a child was given. Isaiah says in verse two, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. If your reality today is more darkness and gloom shrouded rather than joy and hope, then the word of the Lord to you is this, that a son has been given On you, a light has been shown. And there is hope in your dark reality today. A reminder that Jesus has come. And like Judah reminded me so many years ago, I remind you today, he's working. And faith in that promise will have the same effect on you today that it did on Israel, on the remnant, 2,500 years ago. It says, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy of the, at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. That is the joy of the two best things Israel could have thought of, the joy of victory after war and the joy of all the food that they're gonna eat after the harvest, the two greatest joys. It says, bring those joys together and then increase it because that is the joy of Jesus. That is the joy when Jesus enters into the scene. Some of us have been pushing Jesus away because maybe, I don't know what it is, maybe we know what it means to enter in. Maybe it seemed like that, that stuff that those crazy, people believe in, or maybe we aren't ready for the surrender that it requires, but I implore you today, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Bring your sorrow. Bring your darkness. Bring your gloom. Bring your depression. He wants it all because he has broken the rod of oppression over us. When we have brought the darkness to him, he says a great light has come. And he will multiply joy over joy over joy. Bring yourself to Jesus, the only hope that will never leave us disappointed. Next time you feel sorrowful, you feel the darkness, and your inclination is to turn on the TV, text that person, put on a video game, smoke that blunt, let's just be real. Call upon Jesus, open the word, and know that light has shone upon you today. Stand with me. Jesus, we thank you that at your very entrance into the world, meant salvation for all of humanity, that whoever would call upon your name would have eternal life. There are some here today that have never called upon the name of Jesus. I make the invitation to you. 
Become part of his kingdom. How do you do that? Bow to him as king. And you will find a righteous, a just, and a loving ruler to give yourself to. Some of us have forgotten about the great hope that we have in Jesus. I implore you, walk into his light. And what you will find is comfort and joy. Comfort and joy. Jesus, we thank you for your immeasurable riches towards us. That the call today is one of recognition of your great love towards us. Help us to recognize the depth of your love even in our sorrowful state, even if we are surrounded by darkness, even if the world has caved in on us, you have loved us and you love us still. If anybody would like prayer, we will have our prayer team off to the side. At any moment during worship, I encourage you come and receive prayer because we see that the Spirit of God works when we pray over one another, when we pray with one another. If you have never received Jesus and you have questions about it, come and pray with us. Let's worship.